listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Compassion. Hello my radio friends, it's great to be with you today. Thanks for joining me again. I hope you're well, and I hope you haven't forgotten that you are very much loved, loved by God. I hope also that you have been enjoying the programs and found the information to be helpful and meaningful. It's always been my intention that via these programs, you will be drawn closer to our loving Heavenly Father, that you will do His will and find comfort and satisfaction from having a better understanding of the Bible, God's Holy Word. In the last program, we considered the main beliefs and practices of Muslims. One of the main things we learned about Muslims is that theirs is a highly regulated religion and there's not much scope for Muslim people to explore other ideas that do not comply with the Islam faith. Those who do, especially those who accept Christianity, are very often disowned by their families and ostracised by Muslim society. And it's very obvious that Islam is a works-based religion. Coupled with that, I get the impression that Allah, the name Muslims give to God, is very exacting, very strict and very stern. Today we will see what the Bible has to say about the nature of God. In the first few chapters of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, we read about how God created the earth and all the life forms in it. Some of those life forms, such as crayfish, many of the insects and lobsters, have an appearance that is rather repulsive. They are angular, hard and spiky. I haven't heard of too many people who like to cuddle a lobster or keep one for a pet. On the other hand, some creatures are soft and cuddly. These creatures are often kept as pets, and they are a comfort to people. But then God has made some curious-looking creatures. For example, the platypus and the camel. Maybe God has a sense of humour, and while a camel or a platypus is perfectly functional, it certainly has an odd appearance. Furthermore, 
There are creatures which have the most beautiful colours and patterns that almost make one gasp in wonder. For example, the peacock, the rifle bird, the parrotfish, the shimmering colours of some insects, including butterflies, and, of course, the variety of forms and colours in flowers. These things indicate that God delights in beauty, that he has a sense of humour, that he has made things pleasant for mankind to enjoy. You know, evolutionists do not really have a satisfactory answer for why the peacock has such beautiful tail feathers or why some fish have brilliant colours and markings and so on. If evolution was true and things evolved in response to specific conditions, it is most probable that most living creatures would have camouflage colours. There would be no birds like the outlandishly beautiful birds of paradise. And the same goes for the idea that if God is stern, exacting and very strict, it is very unlikely that that kind of God would create things that are so full of colour and form and variety. It also indicates that God has emotions. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 6, we can read how God felt as he considered the mess human beings had made of their noble position. The text says, And it repented, or grieved, the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. On the opposite scale, we can read of God's delight. Proverbs 11 verse 1 speaks of a false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. And in the same chapter, in verse 20, it speaks of those who are upright as his delight. So, to put it in human terms, God has a full range of emotions, from sadness and anger to joy and delight, from laughter to weeping. Today, I want to share with you about another of God's emotions, and that's compassion. When Jesus, the Son of God, or the second person of the Godhead, was here physically on the earth, he healed many sick or disabled people. Why? Why did he do this? Well, it wasn't because he wanted to get rich, because he never accepted any money for what he did. And it wasn't because he wanted to make a name for himself, as he often requested that the healed person must not tell about who healed him or her. 
It wasn't because he wanted to glorify himself, as he was humble and spent much of his time mixing with the common people. And it wasn't because he was a showman, because the Jewish leaders on several occasions proposed that he should perform a miracle and then they would believe in him. He refused to put on a show for their benefit. So then, why did he do it? The answer is found in the story of a man who was healed of leprosy and in several other stories recorded in the Gospel books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. This is the story. A man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. Do you get what happened here? Leprosy was one of the most dreaded diseases. It was the equivalent of cancer, or even worse. It was a death warrant. And worse than that, anyone who had leprosy was not permitted in normal society. They were not to mix with others in case the leprosy was passed on to other people. That meant that the leper had to leave his home and family and had to live as a beggar, away from the towns and villages. Worse than that, if someone was coming toward the leper, say on a path or a road, the leper had to shout out a warning to the approaching person, Unclean! Unclean! Very few people ever got over leprosy, and only a few were healed of it. This man in the story was one of the lucky ones. So, why did Jesus heal this man? The Bible says that Jesus was filled with compassion. He felt sorry for the leper because he was naturally a kind and loving person, not an exacting and stern autocrat. In the book of Hebrews, we're told about Jesus in his role in heaven as our mediator. Hebrews chapter 4 and verses 15 and 16 tells us, For we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are yet, was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace 
with confidence or boldly, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This text has been of great comfort to many people as they recognise their own sinfulness and unworthiness. They know that they can approach our Lord as someone who has gone through the same kinds of problems they go through. Although they, and we for that matter, have failed, Jesus did not fail. He never sinned. But he understands the human condition and has compassion and sympathy towards us. And for that reason, we do not have to fear when approaching him in prayer. He'll take notice of us because he has walked the dusty paths of this earth. He has stubbed his toe on a rock. He's been lonely. He's been hurt and insulted. He's been hungry and thirsty. He understands and he feels for us. We'll have a little break for a moment. One night a sleepy little boy knelt beside my bed. He smiled and looked into my eyes, and this is what he said. Daddy, my daddy, you've taught me lots today, so daddy, my daddy, teach me how to pray. You brought me home a brand new kite and showed me how to fly. And there ain't no other kid whose dad can knock a ball so high. I'd like to thank God for you, but I don't know what to say. So, Daddy, my Daddy, teach me how to pray. I had to turn and leave his room, and he began to cry. I didn't want my boy to know, but so did I. His best pal had forsaken him, but what was there to say? For Daddy, his Daddy, had forgotten how to pray. Daddy, my Daddy, teach me how to pray. In the second book of the Bible... Exodus, is recorded what happened to Moses, who was one of the few people to be in close presence to the Lord. Moses was alone on top of Mount Sinai. In chapter 34 and in verses 5 to 7 we read this, Then the Lord came down in the cloud, and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, 
maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Here God describes himself as compassionate, loving, kind and merciful. And also it would be good for those people who believe in what is known as cheap grace to think about this text. They believe you can do anything, sin and keep on sinning, and God, whom they regard as an old softy, will always and unconditionally forgive and be gracious. Yet God says that the guilty will be punished. Although God is merciful and compassionate, we must not take him for granted. The shortest verse in the whole Bible is found in the New Testament. It is only two words and is found in John 11 verse 35. It says just this, Jesus wept. It's only a short verse, but it is rich in meaning. You see, Lazarus, Jesus' friend, had died. Jesus went to the home where Lazarus and his two sisters lived. Mary, the younger sister, met Jesus near their home. She said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But by then Lazarus had been dead four days. It was a very emotional scene. Mary was weeping and there was a group of mourners also weeping. And I shall read to you from verse 33. This is John chapter 11. When Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, See how he loved him. If you read the story for yourself, you'll find that soon after this, Jesus raised Lazarus to life. But we should not miss the point. The point is that Jesus, the Son of God, and in reality who was God, was emotionally upset by the tragic loss of his friend, the one who was the breadwinner for his two dependent sisters. You know, God is not some robotic type of being who has no emotions. Robots, like computers, do not have any emotions. They neither love nor hate. They are never happy nor sad. God, according to his holy word, the Bible, is not like that. Neither is God some kind of ruler in an ivory tower, separated from the things that happen on planet Earth. When we hurt, he hurts. When we are happy, he is happy. When we sorrow, he sorrows. He is touched 
by the feeling of our infirmities. I've sometimes wondered what God thinks when he sees what's happening on this planet. How must he feel when he sees innocent children being abused by those who should be protecting them? How must he feel when he sees fanatical extremists blow up innocent people? How must he feel when he sees the misery, the pollution, the disease, the poverty, the greed, the pursuit of pleasure, the broken marriages, the sin and all its effects? I think what God sees now is on a par with what he observed back in the time of Noah, that is, a sick and dying world full of corruption, selfishness and evil. The very final punishment of the wicked is described as God's strange act. God has no pleasure in punishment. It is against his nature. When mankind sinned, God did not just look down and say, Well, you got yourselves into this mess. You get yourselves out of it. I've got better things to do. No, it was just the opposite. Man had sinned and there was no way for mankind to reverse the situation. What was done had been done and there was no possibility for man to regain his innocence and purity. But God had a plan and it would cost him dearly. You see, because human beings had broken God's holy law, they condemned themselves. They would be subject to death and separation from their Creator. The penalty was not just separation from God, but eternal separation. But God, the lawgiver, would take man's punishment on himself. He would meet the demands of breaking the law. So Jesus, the Christ, came to this earth, lived a sinless life, and then took the punishment of all sinners and died. He died in my place. He died in your place. The Apostle Paul wrote about this very topic in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 56 and 57. He said, The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If God was not compassionate, there would be absolutely no hope for anyone. But because he is compassionate, we have hope. Indeed, we have the assurance that if we accept the sacrifice of Jesus, we can have our sins forgiven and experience a life change, a new direction, and look forward to eternal life. 
But the question is, will God's great compassion be accepted by you? Or will it be wasted on you? I urge you to accept the provision of forgiveness that has been made for you and become one of God's children. In my opinion, it is the only worthwhile way to go. Well, that's it for today. Won't you join me again next time for another in the series, Give Me the Bible? Until then, may God bless you and keep you and give you peace.